0: American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com oh, okay. So I'm
1: wow, obsessed wow, with time.
0: Welcome to another episode of American Timelines. I'm Amy, and
2: that's Joe. And we are back with a guest this week on another episode of American Timelines. We'll be covering June and July of 1952. Yep. And we have a wonderful guest. We are very lucky to have this guest. Uh, We have an author and author coach. Uh, She has 32 romance novels and romance suspense novels published and now has pivoted during this pandemic to become an author coach, which she will tell us more about. But please welcome our guest this week, Miss Tara Kelly. Hi, Tara. Hello.
1: Yay! Thank hey, thank Tara. You so
2: much. I'm so I'm excited so that you're here. Thank you for doing this. Thank
1: you for having me. I am excited. So, uh,
2: right up front, tell me about tell me about being an author coach and what that entails. And yeah, well, tell me, start with that, that. Tell us about that.
1: Well, I mean, can I step back like a little bit from that and just say that, like, for me, uh, I became an author, it's almost seven years ago. Wait, and, you wrote, um,
2: wait, you published 32 books in seven years?
1: Yeah. Wow. Oh my oh, in, in November, it'll be officially seven years. Oh my goodness. And um, in the romance world, uh, they love to publish frequently, which yeah. is bananas, okay. but uh, but that's what they do. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I just basically just um, started the process, but I didn't plan on being a writer. And so, my my life kind of uh, started from a spark from a, a dream that I woke up from. And, really? Uh, and that dream was a, a scene that's in my second book that's published. Oh, my gosh. Um, but prior to that, I was told I was not a good writer. Yeah. So, I had for nine years where I had this barrier that I was battling. Yeah. And, and then, you know when I had this idea that I woke up from hubby said, uh, I want to know more and that was all I needed. And so for now, the last almost seven years, I've been, um, working on my own books and working on me and, you know, getting past all those barriers. Wow. That is and, awesome. Uh, so then this year, uh, well, pandemic world changed yeah. a lot of yes. things, right? Of course. Yeah. And, uh, and so I said, um, that I needed more from just in, I didn't want to just publish. I wanted to help others, and I knew I needed more um, out of yeah. everything that I was doing.
3: Wow. And
1: so I found a coach, and that coach encouraged me to create a course. And so I am now, yes, an author coach, and wow. I have my own course called um, – it's, it's a course and coaching program, mm-hmm. and it's called Your Story, Your Way. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe in you know you creating your magic, your way. I am there to be that vehicle to make sure it happens for you and help you along the way. And so I take you from the very beginning and we're going to talk about your book and what you're publishing. Yeah. And then the whole planning, plotting, and then writing, and and then I lead you the way of where you can find a good editor, because I don't edit, I don't even do my own. Okay. and then they come back to me, and I help them with the whole publishing process and promoting process, which yeah. there are so many pieces to that puzzle too. And so, yeah, so I'm helping them through the whole process.
2: So beginners that can come. That is a to brilliant you. idea. That is so brilliant because I if they
0: you know all professions should have coaches like actor yeah, coaches and yeah. teacher coaches.
2: How do you even begin? I mean, podcasting. There should be Brian, you, the husband you were talking about, hubby that put you know that uh, encouraged you. Is the creator of the Queen City Podcast Network, Brian Baldeshavitz, who's been on here, and so he could probably design one for podcasters. There's a lot of podcasters that are he like, will be. Oh, he will. Nice. He's going to. Because, well, it's a very daunting process to start your own podcast. It's like, where do I even begin? Totally. Yeah. I did a thousand Google searches at. How do I even get listed? How do you get on iTunes? At least then yeah. when I started, it was a lot of just steps that you would a lot of people would give up because it's so daunting. Yeah. And honestly, I've wanted to I've wanted to write for years. I've but I do, I can't even start. Like I don't even have a chapter written because I I don't even know where to begin and then part of me is like the whole process is so daunting that I just give up. And I'm like I don't know anything about publishing or getting published or how do you even, and I have friends that have tried and tried and I don't know their ins and outs, but they've had trouble. So, and, and friends that are good writers that I would, I don't know if they need a coach or, so you can, so you accept beginners, like brand new beginners who know nothing. Like I have an idea, but I, I don't know anything. I can come to you and you can do it.
1: 100%. That's my... Uh, I And I, I do all self-publishing, just so you, um, I should probably say that up front, too, is okay. that um, I focus on self-publishing, but I have power partners out in the field that um, do traditional, so if that's the route you want to take, I can guide them that way.
2: Wow. Power um, partners. Yeah. That sounds cool.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, you, if you have an idea and you've been thinking, you know, you, this idea is there, but you have no idea where to go, or yeah. if you've already started the process of writing your story, but then you're stuck or if you've already got a book written and you have no idea where to go from there it's like those barriers that you can um that can occur in any of those levels
2: I for think, sure i think we should both we should both sign up because amy i felt like <laughs> you should write a book
0: about, about
2: teaching like special ed teaching like you're so mm-hmm. innovative and good at that yeah um, but
0: i don't i don't know how I, I don't know how i would
2: that's what she's for that's what yeah. Tara Kelly's for. <laughs> I don't. An know. author coach. Well, I'm. I want to write more of a. What about a script? If I wanted to write a script, like a so play. my or... power
1: partner would be Brian Baltashevitz, who helps me with the script stuff. Yep. Really? So 100. percent He writes scripts. So he oh, would be man. the guy that like I would utilize. So I would help you with the whole process, but then he would also step in and help you with how to do script stuff. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Psh,
2: sign me up. Sign me up coach. Sign me up She's coach. She's like
0: that'll be $15,000 <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. in monthly
1: installments. Yeah,
2: no, we'll talk about. We'll uh, yeah, we'll make a deal. But I, All right.
1: I I agree with you. I was just going to say I agree with you because you said like we talked about audio stuff when we were, you know, getting set up. You know, there's little nuances that happen with anything that we do, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and that's my point with why I created the coaching program is there's little nuances that we go through what, through each stage. And you can't remember them all. And yeah. that's why I'm here to try to remember them all. Or if I can't remember them all, I've got those power partners out in the field. That yeah,
2: can, and you've got these connections. Easy. And that's so great that you just decided to do this to help people because you yeah. you recognize a need. Yeah. And, yeah. and and where you would have been, and you would have enjoyed this totally. need. And so that's such a great thing that you guys both do. And you guys are both great people. As Brian's been on an episode. We'll have to insert episode number here. But uh, just great people to be around anyway. But what Now, your your books that you have yeah. published, are these the romance novels, what I'm thinking of, like with Fabio on the cover, like a <laughs> naked built guy on a beach all the time, like holding a woman in, her, in his arms type of thing?
1: I don't go with the Fabio route, but I do have some man chests on some of them, absolutely, mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, yeah, I do romantic comedy and uh, contemporary romance okay. uh, for the Tara Kelly books, and okay. then um, what I did is I created T.M. Kelly, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't hide them or anything; they're they're just all out on my website. But T.M. Yeah. Kelly does the romantic suspense, okay. and romantic suspense is like literally mob boss, really? intense, gritty romance. So, wow. Yeah, okay. Cool. Uh, yeah.
2: now, uh Do you? So I've always wondered this: Do you? Are you in charge of? The cover art and everything, or do you outsource that? Do you have somebody else just do that, at or do? First, you...
1: At first, I did outsource it, yeah. uh, and then I taught myself how to use Photoshop and all the places to um, start doing it myself. Wow, so that's I do cool. All of mine, yeah. You do it yourself. Wow.
2: So if it's people, are you using drawings of people, or are you using painting or like picture? Um, I, mean, sorry, I get stock
1: done? images. I, I pay. Okay. For, I pay monthly for you stock. Pay images. to use those. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. That's All just right. a dumb question I've always had. Yep. Uh, that's great. Yeah. So thank you for being here. And now before too much longer, we're going to jump. This is so cool. I, I'm very <laughs> impressed and afraid to talk to you now. Um, <laughs> but we're going to jump right into, uh, I've never known a romance novelist before, but we're going to jump right into... Um, the timeline are you ready to do this tara let's do this nice we got a lot we got two months to cover so i've promised when we do these two months at a time i will be not gonna dawdle i will be brief i will try (laughs) to be brief on my stuff and i won't go in depth on uh dumb things luckily there's a lot of things that happen that we've already kind of touched on in previous episodes so here we go okay we're starting in june of 1952 oh Shoot, one more thing I want to say before we jump in. I wanted to apologize to everybody for some of the audio uh, trouble we've had lately. Um, Yeah. So the last episode I had to republish it like three times because I I have a new computer that I'm using, a laptop I'm editing on, and I'm learning it and messing up things. And so I, I screwed up some of the audio. One of them didn't start for 50 seconds with 50 seconds of silence the previous episode before that i never even put the music in i didn't even realize mm-hmm. i published it without even putting intros and outro or anything it was just raw audio so that and i decided to just leave it like that just as like a special thing you know so anyway <laughs> i apologize to everybody i will get better at this laptop that i have uh but that's why so i felt like an explanation is in order uh so now now into the timeline. Starting with June 2nd of 1952, uh, 650,000 metal workers went on strike in the U.S. Oh. And we talked about this in a previous episode when uh, Harry Truman wanted to privatize the steel industry. Remember that? Uh huh. And so he did that earlier in April. He privatized it to stop this strike. And then they f- went through the Supreme Court and everything. And they realized you don't have the power to do that. You can't just do that. Can't and can't so, just privatize yeah, so an then industry. They, so then later on June 2nd is when they actually went on strike, and they ended wow. up getting exactly what they wanted out Good. of the deal anyway. yes. So. Yeah. And on that same day, Mr. Maurice Ali of General Motors began designing the Corvette. Oh. The Corvette began uh, being uh, designed and I had a little bit from the Corvette Museum, but I'm skipping this now that we're doing two months. So just know the Corvette is being designed now Got in 1952. It. On June 5th, the first ever sporting event televised nationally was a boxing match. Wolcott versus Charles, a boxing match.
1: Okay. Interesting.
2: Yeah. So first like time this. they ever nationally ta- televised a sporting I didn't event. know that. Yeah. It was a boxing uh, match, which I thought... I thought we had already covered something else but apparently not. Um or maybe it's the first ever boxing match. Anyway, Jersey Joel Walcott yeah. took on Ezard Charles. I think I've talked about both of them on this podcast before. Uh it was the fourth and final time they took they fought in Philadelphia. Uh that this was a heavyweight title fight won by Wolcott in a fifteen round unanimous oh decision. Gosh. Yeah. Fifteen rounds. Fifteen rounds. And it was what a deci- like it was a close one. They had to decide. Yeah. Um Yep. All four bouts that these guys Oof. fought each other were title fights. Uh so Jersey Joe Wolcott was born. Arnold Raymond Cream. I just had to keep that in there. His name was Arnold Raymond Cream. <laughs> and I talked about this on a previous episode, I think. So, And he changed his name to Jersey Joe Walcott after a boxer from Barbados that he idolized. Okay. Um, and that was uh, Joe Walcott. And he had a Jersey Joe to distinguish himself. Uh, and then Ezra Charles, we talked about him on a previous episode. He learned to fight while serving in the military. He fought and won Golden Glove tournaments. But had to put his career on hold once during World War II. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'll skip that because again, we gotta we gotta do ju- yes. June and July, and I got some Good ex- exciting things. So I'm just gonna tell you all that info is from BarstoolSports.com. All right. And here's one: if you like sports, do you like <laughs> car races, Tara?
1: I used to watch it a lot. I don't that much anymore. Yeah.
2: Okay. So we're we're recording here from Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: So, so I wasn't supposed to say that, but I did.
2: Oh, you're not supposed to say that you watched races before? Well,
1: I live in Charlotte. I shouldn't be saying that vocally.
2: Oh, you can't tell people that you don't. Yeah, right? Right. I I don't either, and I never have. In fact, I vocally, I honestly say all the time, I don't know why people watch it, but my stepdad was a huge NASCAR guy. Yep. I never Uh understood why they watched it, but now I live in NASCAR country, and I still don't really get it. (laughs) But on June 14th and 15th, the 1952... Twenty-four Hours of Le Mans was the twentieth Grand Prix of endurance. It was a two-day race where they did a twenty-four-hour straight race. What? Right. And so, and so they they like switch off drivers. Oh, okay. Because nobody can drive for twenty-four hours, right? This took place on the fourteenth and fifteenth of June at Circuit de la Sarthe.
1: Sarf- oh God! I don't know how to say that, but anyway, this
2: is amazing because this. This race was notable, so it's a twenty-four hour race and you're supposed to switch off drivers. A driver named Pierre Lave, Pierre Bouillon. I don't know. He, Lave. Oh, he attempted to drive the entire twenty-four <laughs> hours by himself. That's insane.
0: Oh my god. That there's nothing worse than driving when you're can, exhaustedly can you tired. Imagine, and plus you're racing. No. Can you imagine
2: dra- racing? Oh
0: my god. God, that's torturous. So, of course, I hate wow. the feeling of being tired.
2: You hate that feeling. And when we drive, we drive back to Toledo, Ohio, periodically yeah. from Charlotte. And we usually do it straight through. And it's like a 10 that's to 12 tough. hours. And by the end yeah. of it, I am usually, like, my face is, like, stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> Squint and I can't see. You've had see too much any- caffeine. Yeah, and I'm hallucinating, <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh God, I can't do this anymore." Yeah. yeah uh, so bad. I can't imagine him trying to race for 24 hours, no. and driving the whole time, and the guy almost won, driving by himself, <laughs> but he was exhausted in the 24th hour, and he missed a downshift oh, in no. his Talbot logo, logo, whatever that is, and he over-revved the engine, breaking the connecting rod. Oh, I don't Jesus. know what any of that means, but.
0: Probably something Sounds serious. Bad. Something
2: big. And so he, he didn't he didn't win after all that. And I, I assume they had him drive the whole thing because.
0: In the 24th hour that he happened?
2: was probably really good. That's yeah, horrible. At the last hour.
0: Like, can you believe that? <laughs> they <Like>, should have <laughs> given him the prize anyways, I guess. I
2: want to think of this guy. Anytime like, I put a lot stupidity. of effort into something. You know, don't you hate that when you put a lot of effort into something a lot of time and then right. it, you break it or it's ruined? At the very like, end. I did all that almost for done. Nothing. Like, yes. uh, oh, like. Oh, and I just like like, editing and your
1: computer, like your
0: crashes or something. Yeah, accident
1: or something.
2: Yeah. Like my our desktop computer just died and I lost everything. But (sighs) I knew it was coming. And so I I did all these steps to try to save it and like fix it and this. And then i made one little stupid. I did. I spent hours. I spent days a weeks on like installing new drives and transferring everything over and cloning and all this shit. And I made one little mistake where I was really tired, and I deleted everything. Oh no! And I lost everything on our computer, which is all of our old every our audio we've ever done on the. All I'm that just extra. now hearing of this. Yeah, so all of our pictures, oh, wow. like everything. All right. Uh, so anyway,
0: this has nothing to do with 1952. No, <laughs>
2: except that I felt like this guy did, but not as bad as this guy.
0: No, because he did. He die? I wonder. I guess he lost out. No,
2: he didn't die. Did he he crashed. No, he just didn't win. He was about to win after oh. all that time. He was <laughs> tired. Oh. And so mine wasn't as bad as that. That's true. Okay. And then on June 19th, we see, we're busting through, I've Got a Secret debuts on the CBS Television Network. Okay. With Gary Moore as host. Have you guys heard of I've Got a Secret, this no, game I show? So you can watch old, a lot of times on YouTube, I'll get stuck in a loop of old, old television. And I mostly remember this game show. Basically, it was... A contestant comes out, and there's a panel, and they have to ask questions to the contestant. They guess what their secret is. So it's kind of like a yes or no mm-hmm. questions until they okay. guess what the secret is. And the one that I've seen on YouTube that you can see, it's fascinating to me, is... So this started in 1952. So in the 50s, I think this might have been a 1960 episode, they have a a guy, an old man, who can barely open his eyes. Like, he's just this crusty old man that can barely move. And his secret wasn't they ask and find out. His secret was that he witnessed Abraham Lincoln being shot at Ford's Theater. <laughs> he was a five-year-old when 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 Lincoln got shot, so he was this kid, and that was their, his biggest secret. But it's fascinating to me that somebody who witnessed Lincoln being shot is on television. Like it was like television existed and there was a show. So he that 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 was one of the most notable. Episodes. episodes of
0: it, yeah. Interesting. And, and that wow. guy
2: was Samuel L. Seymour on the 1956, February 8th episode. Ronald Reagan was on there. He didn't have a secret. Boris Karloff's secret was he was afraid of mice. Uh, hmm. Bobby Fischer, the United States chess yeah. champion, was on there as a, as a person. Colonel Sanders was on there in 1964.
0: What was his secret? His
2: secret was that he started KFC with his Social, social Security check. Of one hundred and fifty dollars. Oh wow! Yeah,
0: See, The government does help people.
2: Yeah. Boom! Yes, it does true. help people, and I was reading up on this. I had no idea that Colonel Sanders was a real person. I don't. Oh, think you I, didn't know that? I didn't know that. And he dressed yeah. like that. He was. He did. They show the. Vi- I saw the video of him on there, and he's like this.
0: <laughs> I have a now. I have a memory, and okay, this might be go. a bullshit memory. <laughs> this could be a
2: lie. Let's see.
0: Okay. <laughs> Colonel Sanders was one time he was a guest on Little House on the Prairie. Really? Is that true?
2: Is that possible?
0: Or is that just a bullshit memory?
2: Uh, Somebody can probably Google that real quick. (laughs) When did Colonel Sanders die? That'd probably be the easiest way. Oh, here we go. You got it. He died in 1980, so maybe. That's interesting.
0: Was Colonel Sanders on Little House on the Prairie? <gasps> he was!
1: Hey! Oh wow! Yep. Yep. Holy cats.
0: Colonel Sanders appears on an episode of the show. A character resembling Colonel Sanders asks Harriet Olsen if she wants to serve only fried chicken at her restaurant and become part of his business in Season 8. The show's setting was meant to take place well before this.
1: I could I've seen it then. Now I want to go back and
0: watch <laughs> I it. I know. I'm so excited. that th- I thought it was a dream I had or something. <laughs> You know, wow. you know how that happens sometimes where you're like, I have this faint memory as a Wait child a of something weird happening. The other one that I always have is I remember Jose Feliciano used to be on Sesame Street all the time. Do you Which know who he one? is? Jose who? Feliciano. He's the, I don't know if I know him. Can he's a Latin I, guitar player, but I, I always remember him having really long fingernails oh yeah and it grossed me out as a kid because he's a he was a boy and in my for some reason a man with long fingernails grossed me out
1: at the time yeah there is something that's off-putting about that Mm -hmm. i have to agree with you 100 percent. yeah i don't know why but i'm also thinking about when you're strumming that guitar isn't that hard to strum the guitar you would think and it
0: might even also be something that I made up in my head.
2: No, I bet we could find that, <laughs> that if we really, really tried. That
0: never really happened. I've, we've tried to look, and we've never been able to find anything about it. So I think that one is one that I, huh. I would have made, okay. up, made up memory.
2: Anyway, so you can really <laughs> lose a lot of time on YouTube if you just look up. That's I've, yeah. true. I've got a secret. Uh, it's a okay. fun game show to watch. Uh, I'm, oh, I'm curious. I'm
1: gonna have to
2: do that. I'm fascinated by watching people in the '50s do anything. Like I watched oh, an episode today, and he was like, "Let me introduce you to our attractive panel and our attractive guests. Look at these attractive people." Like it was just like a weird thing to say. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, a weird thing
0: to say. Yeah.
2: And the one I started watching, uh, the lady's secret was it was two ladies, and they were their secret was that they were both wearing bathing suits, not dresses, but it looked like they were wearing dresses. So I didn't watch oh, the rest well. to see. But anyway, okay. All right. June 28th. This brings us to June 28th. The Miss Universe 1952 pageant occurred. It was the first Miss Universe pageant ever, uh, and it was held at the Long Beach Municipal Auditorium in Long Beach, California. It was held on the day following the first Miss USA pageant at the same venue. 30 contestants competed for the crown. The first winner of the pageant was 17-year-old Army Kusela of Finland, who was crowned by actress Piper Laurie. You know who Piper yeah. Laurie is? She was in
0: uh, the movie Carrie.
2: Carrie? Did she- you ever see
0: Carrie? Yeah. She was the mom, the crazy mom. Oh, that was Piper Laurie. Okay. She was in other okay. stuff, too, but that's the was one Carrie I remember. Carrie the one where she gets covered blood, in blood? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Quick story.
0: <laughs> no, we're not telling this story.
2: Yeah. No, we're not. <laughs> my favorite story.
1: All, well, right. Now I gotta All know. right. So <laughs> years to... <laughs>
2: ago, when we lived in Chicago before we had kids, we were we were party animal between college and between family. We yeah. we partied a lot, and, and we, we hosted had, parties we, a lot, and we would host parties. Yeah, and we would have a Halloween party every year. And Amy grew up with a family. That taught her how to have Halloween parties. Like it was Decorate, a big oh, deal. Decorated cool. so to the oh, that's dry nice. dry ice in our apartment. There was like f- smoke oh, everywhere. Oh, wow. We had
0: we had a mummy a and
2: mummy on the thing. You could, you know table on the table. Just blood everywhere. So Amy was <laughs> Amy was Carrie that year, covered in blood.
1: Oh no! Oh no!
2: <laughs> yeah, she was covered completely covered head to toe in blood, and I was the Pope. Brilliant. And we had nothing, <laughs> had nothing to do with each other, but so I was a pope. And we just, and we would trade off, when we had parties. Like, one party, I would be the responsible one, and she could drink as much as she wanted, and I would <laughs> make sure to kick everybody out and lock the doors. And then when it was my turn, I was supposed to be able to do that, yeah. and then she would do So this party, we decided it was my turn to just let loose yeah. and drink a lot. She was going to be responsible. <laughs> That's what I thought. But when you get ready for a party, you start, like, you know, at noon, we're, like, decorating. Like, oh, let's start having a beer now, you know.
0: Yep, and you forget to okay. eat.
2: Whatever happened is she forgot to eat. Oh, that's bad. I, yes. I decided she was being responsible, so I was, like, I was in the back room doing oh, playing drinking no. games with people. I remember just, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> we're playing quarters and everything. And I'm, like, oh. So, so funny. I'm on my way to Ripsville, and then when all of a sudden somebody's, like, hey, your cat's out. Somebody got to me, your cat is out. I was, like, my cat. My cat is in the bedroom. My cat can't get out. What are you talking about? It's a small little two-bedroom party. I look in the bedroom, and Amy, covered in blood, is passed out on the on the bed <laughs> oh, with the door oh, wide no. open, like, out cold. And oh, she's no. like, oh, my God. what What's going on? Where's the cat? You're supposed to be responsible. I thought I was. So suddenly, I had to, like, stop drinking and be the responsible there. one. <laughs> there was. It was the craziest party ever. We had a band playing in our, our living room. I don't know where the band came from. Like, yeah. Some of these people show were playing or guitars. Yeah. Play, and I finally got them wow. out. I finally got everybody kicked out by like two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. Everybody left. <laughs> I was cleaning up. I found my cat, got her in. Thankfully. And a mm-hmm. van pulls up with a like another band shows up with drum kit and like they're getting oh their God. guitars out. They're like, hey man, can we play at your party? And I was like, no. Play at my party. What you, it's over. It's three. Who are you? It's 3 a.m. How did this happen?
0: Yeah. How That's did they find so out?
2: And you missed all of it. So. I know it
1: did. It was crazy. I know.
2: So, But she was, was dressed, like dressed as Carrie.
1: Outfit. You missed it. Yeah. Well, you know it. But her outfit was great.
2: It. She was covered in blood, and there was blood all over our sheets forever. Uh, <laughs>
0: I don't know. That was such a bad idea.
2: That was a bad idea. That was, that
0: was a, a bad idea. idea. It was
2: <laughs> So I don't recommend that as a costume if you're gonna just let loose, <laughs> or uh, ever, or ever. <laughs> I mean,
0: it was the like corn syrupy fake
1: stage blood, and you
2: slept in it all night. I know, in your clothes. Wasn't it was
1: it hard to get off the next day? Yes, That's it
0: stained day, but... my oh. skin, and Andy, yeah, and she was
2: like maroon for a couple of weeks.
0: <laughs> it was bad. It was a dumb idea. Oh goodness.
2: <laughs> And that brings us to uh, how, we got we got yeah, all that from that? the Miss Universe pageant. Got us to that.
1: <laughs> I know that's hilarious.
2: And that brings us to June 30th, 1952, and we're going to turn it over to Tara, Ooh. our awesome author, coach, and author, to tell us about something. <laughs> what are you going to tell us about Tara?
1: Okay, I was really excited about this one just because I write romance and oh, okay. I like shorter stories. I don't write big, long um, novels. Okay. Uh, so, in June, on June 30th, 1952, Guiding Light, The Soul Opera, was first broadcast on TV oh, wow, on CBS. Yeah.
2: Okay. Wow. Wow. I had no idea, had no idea Guiding Light was this old
1: that's the way to hear like all the details on that. Cause I'm fascinated okay. on the fact that it is this old. Yeah, I had no idea either, by the way. Okay, good. Okay. So, um, I, I went really deep cause my producer husband made me do these next two things. And yes. then the little bits are all the things that you just asked about basically. Okay. Yes. I have to say these next two or my husband will be bummed. Yes. Oh, Bum. Um, so it was run by the production company, Procter and Gamble production. So, Yes, Pro- Procter & Gamble, of course, has the you know soaps and detergents and mm-hmm. all that. But apparently, they have a production company, too. Oh. And they uh, sponsored the first radio serial dramas in the 1930s.
2: What? Wow, so 1930s? The... Yeah. Okay.
1: So this is how far back we're going. Yeah. Uh, and the company was best known for the detergents, of course. Yeah. And so the serials for the shows became known as soap operas. Because uh, of because okay. mm-hmm. of the, yeah and they didn't just produce guiding light they also did uh as the world turns and another world oh and also the edge of night
2: was another one
1: and that's and why they call
2: them tomorrow. soap opera. Are, are these all these those were all radio plays?
1: so not all were radio no oh okay what um but guiding light did start as a radio okay wow. it a second. Yeah. yep and it was created by Erna Phillips, who is, um, she created Guiding Light, and she was the head writer and known as the Queen of Soaps. Oh. And she is best known for innovating a daytime serial format with programming geared specifically toward women. And this is worth, so I had to say all that because of the husband. Yes, yes, yes.
2: You know, that's, I like that stuff, too. It's all good research. I've always wondered. I've always heard. But why are they called soap operas? Soap. Yeah. Yeah, I I thought thought that was interesting, too. Yeah, I didn't know.
1: So, Guiding Light, of course, was first called The Guiding Light when it was on radio. It didn't actually get changed to being just the two words Guiding Light or GL until um, 1975. And um, it was actually listed in the Guinness World Record for the longest-running drama in television. Wow. Wow. Was on TV for fifty-seven years, wow. so from, from nineteen fifty-two yes. to two thousand and nine, when it ended.
2: Oh, it so ended. they oh, nice. could have
1: literally had a character start as a
0: child on there and then age totally. into an an, an elderly an person.
2: older lady.
1: Yeah, yes.
2: Yeah, that's great. They probably did.
1: Or I was just thinking, like, yeah, because you know how some of those soap opera characters, like, you would actually see them pass away later on.
2: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think the same, like. Every once in a while, I will accidentally catch Days of Our Lives that and, I, my yeah. mom and watched when I was a kid. There'll and the still be some people, people on there. Yeah, the same people are there. Yeah. They're just really fucking old now.
0: Like Patch is still <laughs> yeah, there. It's he's them, an yeah. old man, but he's still yeah. got that
1: damn eye
2: patch on. I yeah. Think.
1: yeah. Someone told me that one of the characters, I used to watch Days of Our Lives, I don't anymore, but yeah. um, was killed off. And was like years ago, like in the '90s, and apparently he's back now, like Stefano or something like that. Oh, he's back alive. Well, I and know I'm like, like
2: John Black died, or like the guy who played uh, Drake Hogestine died, and they replaced him as Roman Brady. Oh or no, he yeah. was the new Roman Brady, I think. And then the old guy who played Roman wanted to come back to the show, so they they decided, oh, he'll be a he just. He didn't really have plastic surgery. He's just a different guy. <laughs> Jesus. Explain everything, all that kind of stuff, you know. But yeah. yeah and hilarious. I think Jennifer Aniston's father was on Days of Our Lives. Oh, really? Where is okay. Anyway, back to Guiding Actually, Light. I
1: think that's Stefano. I think that is the guy. No, I thought we'll he was Victor
2: Kyriakis, I believe.
1: Oh, <gasps> no, you're right. Right?
2: Wasn't yeah. he? I could be wrong. I believe,
1: yeah, I we'll wasn't looking. Anyway, back now. to Guiding anyway. Light.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so of course, we said 57 years for on TV, but it was first on NBC radio for 15 years wow. from 1937 to 1930. 1956. So wow. there was the crossover between TV and radio for them.
2: Yeah, wow. So the
1: four year overlap they did, the actors had to do in the morning uh, on TV and in the afternoon on radio.
2: Really? They had to do it twice a day. Yep. They couldn't just take the audio from the
1: <laughs> show? Oh, because they, record, re, they were recording live for, like, oh. and I have it in here. I don't have it. Uh, they oh. started pre-recording. I might It might be the next thing I'm saying. It's down here. They started pre-recording it somewhere. There it is. Okay. They started re, pre-recording around 1968. So, yeah. no. Oh, they but were they were recording live. live. Those
2: recordings were yeah. live radio shows. Oh, wow. That makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. Totally. Wow.
1: They did 72 years. Uh, before it was canceled, and they have 18,262 episodes. Oh, my
0: God. (laughs) Wow. That's insane. It is insane.
2: Holy shit, I had no idea.
0: Almost 20,000 episodes.
2: That's, like, too too much. (laughs) Yeah. But they're not meant, I feel like something like that is not meant to be binge-watched.
0: Thank God. I was just going to say, thank God you never got... Into something like that because he does this thing where no. he gets into a show Stop and it. he's got to start from the pilot no. and he's got to sit and watch the whole fucking thing yes. the whole <laughs> the whole fucking series. He he did this with Cheers. He did this. That's with, what you do with um Frasier.
2: Breaking Bad. Bra- you did that with Breaking Bad. That's different. That's Why is, different.
0: That different? is that different? Cheers was on for like ten years.
2: Nine oh, nine year, 11, <laughs> 11 seasons. Ridiculous. But I did it, I did it to pass the I'm pandemic.
0: Just, I'm just glad you never did that with Guiding Light.
2: <laughs> Can well, you imagine having to I'm start gonna, with the
0: pilot of Guiding Light and I'm watch gonna. the whole goddamn thing? But you
2: can't. Like, you can't probably get all <laughs> <The> 20,000. <000. laughs> I'm going to start with audio You'd dramas. be dead. <laughs> well, I, you'd
0: have to watch it 24 hours a day until you die, probably.
2: Yeah. Well.
0: I wonder what the math would be on that.
2: I did start doing that with <laughs> He-Man because... <laughs> <laughs> because there's a new He Man coming out on Netflix from, oh, is there? Uh, yeah, oh. Kevin Smith is making a new one. From is it uh, a cartoon or it's a cartoon? <gasps> but it's supposed to it's supposed to take it's supposed to start where the old cartoon left yeah. off. But I wasn't ever aware the old one had a storyline through. I always thought it was just. Episode. Episode. Episode.
1: Yeah, I, I yeah. just watched. The, I watched He Man and She Ra, and I always just the oh, yeah. episode. Yeah, but they're all on
2: YouTube for free, so I was mm-hmm. like, I might yeah. as well watch them to just like have in the background. You know, it's not anything you have to pay attention to, but I'm finding that it's very entertaining in the fact that it's so corny. Like <laughs> yeah. He Man oh, is worry. such a du- it's such a dumbass. Like Prince adam's such a dumbass, and Orko, like they're so dumb and they're so like. The lessons they learn at the end, they talk about, well, kids, you should never eat 14 cakes, you know, like, (laughs) I don't know, whatever it is, but He-Man talks with, like, when he becomes He-Man, he talks like this, (laughs) Yeah, like, all the time. Anyway, it's so dumb that I can't stop watching it, but anyway, uh, (laughs) okay, enough of my binging, back to you and guiding lights. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Okay, let's see here. Uh, Guiding Light is the longest-running soap opera ahead of General Hospital Wow. and is the fourth-longest-running program in all of broadcast history. Grand Ole Opry is the longer is longer okay. and started in 1925.
2: What? Wow. Grand Ole yeah. Opry, huh? Right? Huh. Uh,
1: the show, uh, when Guiding Light started on the radio, it was 15 minutes. And it stayed 15 minutes even when it came over to TV and, and was like that until 1968. And oh. then it moved to 30 minutes. Okay. And and in 1968, when it moved to 30 minutes, it also switched from being live to pre-tape for okay. each episode. Okay. And then in 1977, it moved to being one hour. Okay. And they did that because One Life to Live in General Hospital were one hour, and it was kind of a competition kind of
2: thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you're going to compete and keep the viewers. So now that makes me think, I don't know how is if it's as impressive, if their first hundreds of episodes were only 15 minutes, because a 15-minute show, hey, right. I can produce a 15-minute show. Right. No, I can't. I don't know. Maybe I can, but it's not that much.
1: Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just find it fascinating that they're taking – these storylines the way they did in 15-minute timeline. But then I think about how a writer, like, you know, how we can create these little short stories, like my, yeah. some of mm-hmm. mine are 13,000 words, and you can do a whole storyline from start to finish in 13,000 words. Yeah. Which isn't much. Yeah.
2: not So I was going to ask you, Tara, as an author, like, do you have, uh, maybe not because you're not writing scripts, but do you have a good feel for how how long, how many pages 15 minutes would be generally?
1: For scripts, yeah, I have no idea. No, I yeah. I my I started in broadcasting, that was okay. my first degree, and that's the only reason I I went into broadcasting was to meet my husband, just so y'all know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I had to write scripts and stuff and so I remember that back back in the day they would tell me like how long the thirty second spots and stuff like that had to yeah. be. So I am honestly not for sure. That's you don't a good question. I always wondered yeah, that. Like, I'd love uh... to know that too. Yeah, but okay. um uh, so the last thing I had that um, that I found was basically, and this is just you know a simple one, is that when uh, Guiding Light was canceled, yeah. they placed it with an hour-long revival of Let's Make a Deal with Wayne Brady. Which can you imagine the people <laughs> that watched Guiding Light? Yeah, for all those years, their whole lives, some people. Right, and then it's just done. It's
0: I wonder over. what the last episode did. Everybody just get blown up in a mushroom cloud or what? <laughs> Don't That's you- what happened on Little House Perfect. on the Prairie. Going back to that, Wait, remember the last blew up. that blew, blew up. The town blew up. Yeah, what? I don't remember. The they whole town died? blew up.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think. I'm pretty sure. So, do you think some writer was pissed off? They <laughs> got canceled. Was like, you know what? Everybody's Fuck dead. Fuck you. Boom. Yeah. Fuck you. You're out.
1: You're out. Yep. That,
2: how traumatic for kids. Well, kids that whole show
0: was like that, though. Every episode was a trauma.
2: It was. I never oh, watched it. My dad
0: it. used to call it Big Depression on the Prairie.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I never Because once. every episode,
0: was like something horrible was going on.
2: I had zero tolerance for Little House on the Prairie. I
0: loved it. I don't know why I did. <laughs> when, I I was, loved
2: it. when I was a kid, it came on right before. Did you like it, Tara? You liked it too. I did. I loved it. You guys oh, yeah, both I. I, was,
0: I hated Nelly.
1: No, she was so horrible. She was so horrible.
2: She was yeah. And I was a kid. It came on before something. I uh, like Transformers or something or something. <laughs> so I was like, God! I always had to watch the last like two minutes of that, like. Come on, get! what is this? Why would anyone, you know, yelling at the TV? Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. uh, So we got, oh, thank you, Tara. That was great information. Yes, thank you. I love it. I'm fascinated by all that. That is just a long
0: time to be on TV. Well, in a
2: way, I kind of wish for the people who did watch that. And like you said, there were probably some people that it affected them. Like they grew up, like you said, watched it. Then now it's just over. For, and it's
1: got "Let's make a deal on that." Yeah, yeah
2: For those people, I think there should be a rule. that something like that. Like maybe, maybe the rule is a show's on I don't know, it has to be on for at least seven years or something for, for this clause to come into effect, but the clause should be, if a show's on that long and people are attached to it, those characters, by law, need to go to another show. Like, so <laughs> some other show has to now take these people on, or multiple shows. Like, maybe one goes to this show, one cool. goes to that. Yeah. Just as a rule, and then, like, somebody else will have to write them in. Like, maybe they have to go on, I don't know, Maud. Like, if Maud was still on, now Maud has to write some of those characters in. Just to so people don't have to lose them. Mm-hmm. Isn't
0: that a good rule? Could be. And I think it, it's a fair rule.
2: And it keeps the actors working. Yeah. That's I, I just thought of that just now. That's genius, and I'm going to try to get it Past. <laughs> all right let's move on i'm gonna go to congress tomorrow okay okay
1: <laughs> so that same
2: day that guiding light moved from radio to tv uh uh wrestler danny davis who was a referee that became uh or a wrestler that became no referee that became a wrestler dangerous danny davis was born amy amy hates I keep coming up with ways to try to make her like the birthdays My that I talk first about. Dan so was here's a new way that I have this new thing on I'm Canada Day at the Ottawa July, Hospital in July. Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Okay. So instead of going through his whole bio, yeah. um, if I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but when you Google something now, yeah. a lot of times if it's a common thing that people Google Right under the first, like, result, there will be, like, a series of questions that most people Google. Mm-hmm. Like, here's what yeah. other people have asked about this guy. And that yeah. fascinates me as to what people – the number yeah. one, almost as always, for a celebrity, is what are they worth? What is Dan Aykroyd worth? Oh, yeah. really? So I just discount And then the second
0: that. one is, what have they had in their butt? <laughs>
2: no. <laughs> no, it's usually, like, what's wrong with them or what's a negative – so – but Dan Aykroyd – and I always – I almost always learn something about the person that I didn't know. Right. So I'll share this besides the fact that he was born. In- I
0: can tell you something about him. What? I wonder if it's the same thing you're going to say. I
2: think I know what you'll say.
0: I'm I'm <laughs> going to say that he believes he's been abducted by aliens.
2: Oh. And he
0: believes in ghosts. And he's been on uh, Coast to Coast with Art Bell several times.
2: I did not know. AM, that. Coast I didn't whole, know Coast Coast to any Coast. of those. I thought you no, were going to say that. that he has autism.
0: Oh, no. Because that's the they?
2: big the big news that came out this year is that he has Asperger's, Asperger's autism, but it's not big oh news. But it became big news this year because uh, who's the guy that does the space rockets? Elon Elon Mu- Musk. Elon oh. Musk was just on SNL as hosting, yeah. and he claimed I don't know if he claimed it on the show. I didn't watch it, but said he's got it. He claimed to be the first person to ever be on SNL or to have Asperger's.
0: And then Dan Aykroyd was like, not And Dan Aykroyd's, oh. no,
2: sir, mother effer, I have Asperger's. So that's what I thought you were going to say. But I have even another thing that I didn't know about him. Uh, he was going to become a priest. That's not it. He was going to. He was raised in the Catholic Church. He was going to become a priest, and later he became a comedian. He ran an after-hour speakeasy comedy club in Toronto. That's not it. Mm-hmm. But what I was going to say is, so as a child... He struggled with symptoms of Tourette's and Asperger's. That's not what I'm going to Mm -hmm. cover. But the big question was, does Dan Aykroyd own Patron Tequila?
0: Okay. Oh.
2: And I didn't know why that was a question, so I looked, and the business is now owned by entertainment giant Live Nation, but Dan Aykroyd remains a paid consultant. Apparently, he did kind of own it for a while. Okay. So the move into alcohol industry came in 2005 for Dan Aykroyd. When he set up a company to import Patron into Canada, and two years later he launched his pride and joy. Crystal, he must have really liked it. Crystal Head Vodka on January 20, 2020 2020.
1: <gasps> I love yeah. Crystal Head Vodka. Do
2: you really? I've not yeah. heard of it. So yeah. I guess he he owns that. That's pretty they cool.
1: They have um, their I have two of their shot glasses that are actually skulls. Really, they're awesome. Cool. Really,
2: and so, what is your favorite vodka drink? Would you say?
1: Uh, actually, I like doing, what do they call that? Um, sex on the beach. So it's the cranberry, vodka, and orange juice.
2: Ooh, cranberry, vodka, and orange juice. I thought that
0: yeah. sex on the beach also, also had juice.
1: an Oh, no, I'm, never mind. I'm thinking of a Long Island in, like, iced tea. Am
0: I doing it wrong? No, no. no. Wrong. I was like thinking you're... of
1: a Long Island ice tea.
2: So what, how <laughs> do you, if you don't mind me asking, I had this little detour, a sex on the beach, mm-hmm. you say it's cr- cranberry, vodka, and orange juice? Mm-hmm. And how just much How much of each do you know?
1: I want to say that like um, it's just like however they do their shots of vodka. You oh, know,
2: so a you know shot how of vodka? They do over. Yeah. One of each, like one part and then of each. The vodka. Yeah. Okay.
1: And then like a little bit more of the cranberry juice. And then like you just put like a little splash of orange juice right at the top. And then it just kind of stirs in just a little bit.
2: And is that a drink? Like a, just like a drink totally. you sip on?
1: Okay. It, it's hilarious to order it. You're like, can yeah, I have a six on a Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I always thought sex yeah. on the beach was a shot no like a Mm-mm. buttery nipple or something All right. <laughs> anyway no I the reason I ask is because I but have fair. Fair. I have a bunch of Tito well not a bunch anymore at the beginning of the pandemic I bought a big thing in Tito's vodka because they sponsored a nerdy night show I was doing that's good and I thought you know they're yeah. great and they they're they're big animal lovers they support. Dogs, yeah. In some way. Oh, cool. So I bought a whole thing, and I'm I'm like three quarters of the way through it, but I'm trying to come up with new things to make. So I'm gonna make that. All so right, moving you. on. All right, well, move on. July fifth, we got another birthday, another wrestler, Hillbilly Jim, Jim was is. born on July, and 5th. another birthday to pass the time. let go real fast. July well, a- nice, a- nice a- to a- John a- Tesh was born. A- 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 so a- a- I did I did that thing on John Tesh. You know. Google.
0: John Tesh is always naked under his clothes.
2: What well, makes? that look on his face. He seems like he's a sexy guy. He thinks so. Did you know he's married to Connie Selica?
1: Yes, I believe I did. And yeah. they're yeah. still
2: they're still married. That I'm was one of the together? top okay. one of the top questions was Are they still together? But the okay. <laughs> the biggest question that I had to click on on Google was people ask about John Tesh. What has happened to John Tesh?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Good question.
2: And I was like, is there something wrong? And I totally forgot, (laughs) but he underwent surgery in 2015, followed by chemotherapy and radiation. He had had cancer, and it returned two years later. And in 2018, he decided to stop treatment. But then a blood test showed that his tumor markers were, once again, clear. Huh? Even though he stopped treatment. And Tesh credits his good fortune to God.
3: Uh, mm-hmm.
2: according to a February twenty twenty one report. Uh so I didn't know number one that John Tesh was even still alive. I remember right. he had, he started doing music.
0: Oh, that's very yeah. and nice. I thought it was Can gonna be a horror.
2: Yeah, and then he still was Connie Selica. That's a pretty good yeah. get, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys big Connie Selica fans? I don't remember no. what she was on. Do you remember what she was, was on, Tara?
1: It was just, uh, it was an ABC or CBS News.
3: Oh,
0: it oh, she was? was I thought person? she was
1: on. Um... She, was a, she was a reporter, from what I remember. Oh, oh, I thought she was an actress. I thought
2: she was an actress, too. I thought she was one of the I Charlie's Angels. No, she wasn't one of the no. Charlie's
1: Angels. Now you got to look that up.
2: Yeah, I'll look it yeah. real quick. Because <laughs> now we're all wrong. Reporter, I remember now, her now being you're... really beautiful or something. Like, isn't that the thing, that she's real beautiful? She's an American actress, producer, and former, former model, best known for her roles okay. on the television series Flying High, The Greatest American Hero, and Hotel. The
0: Greatest American Hero. That's what I remember her as.
1: Yeah? Okay. okay, then I totally had it wrong. Who was I thinking of? I don't know,
2: I don't know. but Connie Chung?
1: <gasps> you guys, I'm Maybe. a horrible person. <laughs> is that who I you're thinking of? I might have mixed it up. I might have mixed it up. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, I'm and alone. as I'm, That's as I'm on Google. We mix it up all the time. As I'm Googling
2: Connie Selica, the first question is, what illness does John Tesh have? So that you, Yeah.
1: She's... I had the Connie's in my head. That's what it is.
2: Okay. One more birthday before we get into something really cool, okay? And okay. the Amy story. July <laughs> okay. 17th. Jeez. Birthday theme. Birthday. No, you can't
0: play it five times. I can't. You've, you've gone David, to five birthdays. David,
2: David Hasselhoff, July seventeenth, <sighs> 1952. David Hasselhoff. I couldn't skip David Hasselhoff. No, you can't. That's true. No, you can't. And my favorite question on Google was, why do Germans love David Hasselhoff? Yes, good question. And they say, Google says, while it's commonly agreed that his popularity in Germany is mostly due to his singing career, like his iconic concerts around the fall of the Berlin Wall, a deep love of his 80s and 90s action series Knight Rider and Baywatch still endures in the country today.
0: Really? Yeah.
2: Wow. That's so funny. And so that brings us to July 19th, 1952. And Amy, I understand you have something on this date?
0: Yes, on July
2: 19th. Let me guess. This is a UFO sighting, right, that you're going to cover? No. No? (laughs) No, I was not. On July 19th, 1952. Yeah. I have a UFO thing that happened. Well, do tell. All right. So you have something that happened <laughs> on this same day. Okay, real quick. Not real quick because it's, it's, this is a big deal. The, <laughs> night, the 1952 Washington, D.C. UFO incident, also known as the Washington Flap. A
0: flap, I know, is a
2: series of UFO sightings. Really? Yeah, that's oh, called wow. a flap. Well, so July 1952, there was multiple. So I'm going to start with the first one. And this is, like, if you Google July 1952, this is the first thing that comes up. I was like, oh, obviously this is what Amy's covering because it was so, like, all, like, I had to, like, to find anything else about July 1952, I had to scroll past all this. And then, so, you told me the last minute you weren't covering this. So, uh, the Washington, it was also called the Washington National Airport sightings or the invasion of Washington. No idea, again, until today that any of this happened. It was a series of unidentified flying object reports from July 12th all the way to July 29th, 1952, over Washington, D.C. The most publicized sightings took place on consecutive weekends, July 19th and 20th, and then later on July 26th and 27th. I'm talking about the 19th and 20th right now. Uh, UFO historian Curtis Peebles called the incident the climax of the 1952 UFO flap. Never before Ooh. or after did Project Blue Book. And the Air Force undergoes such a tidal wave of reports. Okay. So at 11.40 p.m. on Saturday, July 19, 1952, Edward Nugent, an air traffic controller at Washington National Airport, today Ronald Reagan, Washington National Airport, spotted seven objects on his radar. The objects were located 15 miles south southwest of the city, no known aircraft were in the area, and the objects were not following any established flight paths. Think about like, how new flying was at this time, too. Mm-hmm. So Nugent's superior, Harry Barnes, a senior air traffic controller at the airport, watched the objects on Nugent's radar scope. He later wrote, We knew immediately that a very strange situation existed. Their movements were completely radical compared to those of ordinary aircraft.
0: Have you seen that one? That late, the latest one that
2: they—that's what this reminds mm-hmm. me of. What they've just—they just
0: released. Did you see that one? It like would stand still, um, and then it would go back, and then it would go yeah. forward. Like it moved like nothing that we have.
2: There's two big ones they're talking about right now that they just declassified that were from yeah. 2014 okay. and 2000. One is a tic tac, and one is like a green pyramid. Both of them just like move at like thousands of miles a second they move in ways you can't move yeah Mm -hmm. and and, like air force has found like they've they don't know what it is they finally said we don't know actually june 1st is supposed to be a big release of information really ufo information yeah like the government's supposed to release all this stuff Um, Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's really going to happen or not but like some senators have like press them, like, tell us what's happening. So this reminds me a lot of what we've been hearing about lately in the news. Um, So Barnes had two controllers check Nugent's radar. They found that it was working normally. Barnes then called National Airport's radar-equipped control tower. The controllers there, Howard Cochlin and Joe Zacco, said they also had unidentified blips on the radar screen, and they saw a hovering bright light in the sky, which departed with incredible speed. Cocklin asked Zacco, did you see that? What the hell was that? At this point, other objects appeared in all sectors of the radar scope when they moved over the White House and the U.S. Capitol. Barnes called Andrews Air Force Base located 10 miles from National Airport. Although Andrews reported they had no unusual objects on their radar, an airman soon called the base control tower to report the sighting of a strange object. Airman William Brady, who was in the tower, then saw an object which appeared to be like an orange ball of fire trailing a tail. It was like anything I had ever seen before. As Brady tried to alert the other personnel in the tower, the strange object took off at an unbelievable speed. Hmm. Again, sounds like what they're talking about now, yeah. now that they're seeing, On one hmm. of National Airport's runways, S.C. Pierman, a Capital Airlines pilot, was waiting in the cockpit of his DC-4 for permission to take off after spotting what he believed to be a meteor. He, told, he was told that the control tower's radar had detected unknown objects closing in on his position. Pierman observed six objects, white, tailless, fast-moving lights, over a 14-minute period. Pierman was in radio contact with Barnes during a sighting, and Barnes later related that each sighting coincided with a pip we could, hear, we could see near his plane. When he reported that the lights streaked off at a high speed, it disappeared on our scope. That's the part that what they later explained, this is the part that doesn't make sense. Like, they could see it, and it was on the radar. Like yeah, Their right. explanations later say that there's a weird thing that can happen with temperature that makes stuff show up on radar, but he sees it, too. Yeah. Like, that's what right. blows me up. So, meanwhile, hmm. at Andrews Air Force Base, the control tower personnel were tracking on radar what some thought to be unknown objects. But others suspected, and in one instance were able to prove they were simply stars and meteors. I don't know how i buy that. But anyway, all of this is just directly. I'm just reading yeah. directly off of Wikipedia, by the way, because this is kind of last-minute thrown together. But still, I'm fascinated. However, Staff Sergeant Charles Davenport observed an orange-red light to the south. The light would appear to stand still, then make an abrupt change in direction and altitude. This happened several times. At one point, both radar centers at National Airport and the radar at Andrews Air Force Base were tracking an object, hovering over a radio beacon. The Hmm. object vanished in all three radar centers at the same time. Wow. At 3 a.m., shortly before two U.S. Air Force F-94 Starfire jet fighters from Newcastle Air Force Base in Delaware arrived over Washington, all of the objects vanished from the radar at National Airport. However, when the jets ran low on fuel and left, the objects returned which convinced Barnes that the UFOs were monitoring radio traffic and behaving accordingly. The objects were last detected by radar at 5.30 a.m. So these sightings on July 19th and 20th made front-page headlines in newspapers around the nation. A typical example was the headline... From the Cedar Rapids-, Rapids Gazette in Iowa, it read "saucer swarm over capital" in large black type.
0: But and there was such a panic about UFOs at this time period too.
2: Well, yeah, and they were thinking like this is around the time when Area 51, I guess, started. I think it had stuff
0: to do with the Cold War oh. too. Is that okay? I think yeah, the UFO the, War, the yeah. UFOs are related to the Cold War in a way.
2: Well, they th- yeah, they think, but and, you know, because what if the opposition has you know, technology we don't have. Like, they mm-hmm. can spy. Whatever. For sure. And that's what they think now. Like, they think China, some of these, they're like, we don't know if it's China, we don't know if it's an alien, or we don't know. Yeah. Um, so, so, then I have something that happened July 21st. So, we'll go, we'll, we'll pause it there, and we'll go to your okay story. We'll Alrighty. see how this works. So, what okay. do you have for us, which...
1: Mm. I'm gonna, On the same day,
2: right? On the same day of July 19th of this happening.
0: Awesome. Yes.
2: Okay. This happened in the evening. So yours maybe happened earlier?
0: I'm going to talk about the murder at Crater Lake.
2: Ooh, the murder at Crater Lake. And
0: uh, my Ooh. source is Thomas Moriarty from the Mail Tribune.
2: Thomas Moriarty from the Mail Tribune? Yes. Is that M-A-I-L? Yes. Okay.
0: Okay, so when Albert Jones and Charles Killeen failed to show up at Union Creek on July nineteenth, 1952, their friends thought they were lost. The two representatives of United Motor Service in the area on business had planned to join the friends that afternoon for a fishing trip. So they thought they were going to be there for a fishing trip, didn't show up. Okay. When their bodies were found two days later, a quarter mile from Crater Lake Highway, gags in their mouths and bullet holes through their heads, it sparked one of the largest interagency murder investigations in state history. Really? Investigators from the FBI, Oregon State Police, the Klamath County Sheriff's Office, and the National Park Service worked on the case. But more than 63 years later, no arrests have been made or official suspects publicly named.
2: Unsolved still, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This could be related to the alien activity. (laughs) You never know. So...
0: I'm going to tell you about a couple other guys, the guys that were going to go with them on the fishing trip. Okay. So there's Frank Eberlane. Okay. He owned an auto parts supply company, and he had invited Jones and Colleen to go fishing with him. So he was the one who was planning the trip. Okay. And then his sales manager, Jack Vaughn, was going to go, too. Okay. And then Eberlane's son, Alan, who was like 13.
2: A 13-year-old kid was going to go on this fishing trip.
0: So, Yes. So after they were finishing up their business at Specialized Service Company, Everlane's Auto Parts business, Jones and Kulain left at about 11 a.m. to check out of their hotel. Okay. And that would be the last time Vaughn or Everlane ever saw the victims. And that
2: was on July 19th. Yeah. Okay.
0: Jones and Kulain headed to Union Creek via Highway 62, and they did cut through the southern part of Crater Lake National Park, because park records show the victim's car was registered at a check station around 1.05 p.m. Okay. After the Eberlanes and Vaughn found the men's uh, car almost two hours later, seemingly abandoned at the Annie Creek Overlook on Highway 62 near the park's southern entrance, the keys still in the ignition, they waited for about 45 minutes. When the men still didn't turn up, Frank fetched Chief Ranger Lou Halleck. And then if you look at the police report that Halleck had made... yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of shows that they began to suspect foul play within the first 24 hours really? after. And this is before they found the bodies after uh-huh. they had done an exhaustive search of Annie Creek Canyon. And, and that didn't turn up any sign of them. And um, it said the police report said at this point, all concern felt that the possibility of serious injury, accidental death or becoming lost in the forest was becoming a very remote possibility. And then within two hours of the discovery of the bodies on July 21st, the FBI assumed control of the investigation.
2: Oh, July 21st. The same day that, by coincidence, USAF Captain Edward Ruppelt, the supervisor of the Air Force's Project Blue Book investigation into UFO sightings, happened to be in Washington at the time, but this is when he actually learned about the sightings, the UFO sightings, when he read the headlines in a Washington area newspaper. Okay. And after talking with intelligence officers at the Pentagon about the sightings, Ruppelt spent several hours trying to obtain a staff car so he could travel around Washington to investigate the sightings. But it was refused, as only generals and senior colonels could use staff cars. He was told that he could rent a taxi cab with his own money. By this point, Ruppelt was so frustrated that he left Washington and flew back to Blue Book's headquarters at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. Upon returning to Dayton, Ruppelt spoke with an Air Force radar specialist, Captain Roy James, who felt that unusual weather conditions could have caused those unknown radar targets. Okay. So that same day, and on July 21st, there was a 19th. There was a Kern County earthquake in southern San Joaquin Valley that measured 7.3 on the magnitude scale. Oh, wow. Okay. That yeah, one's insane. And, and it wow. destroyed a bunch of da- uh, buildings and stuff.
0: Yeah, it would, okay. Yes. So according to Frank, the crime scene was not well preserved. The trail crew that discovered the bodies had found Jones in an upright position near a tree, while the FBI account of the case says that both yeah. bodies were discovered facing up.
2: Wait, oh, when the, the upright position ne- facing a tree, but laying not just laying it down on their back though. What
0: That's what mean? the FBI says, yeah. but the people that found them said the one was up against a tree,
2: like oh, leaning against.
0: The yeah. Tree. So they did autopsies, and they found that there were they were each shot once, Kulain in the face and Jones in the back of the head. Okay. They dusted the car for prints, but they didn't find any they could use. They did find two spent cartridge casings from a thirty two caliber pistol near the bodies, and Kulain's shoes were missing. Huh. And both men had been robbed of the approximately $300 they were said to be carrying, which is about $2,700 today. Oh, wow. Oh,
2: wow. So it's a robbery.
0: Um, yes. So there's a couple kind of hinky things that happen here. Okay. And um, there's a couple of suspects. So less than an hour after the bodies were found, a man called a garage in Fort Klamath from a railroad depot in Medford. Okay. And the caller identified himself as J.D. Harvey of five, 536 Plum Street, Medford. Huh. He asked if somebody at the garage could pick up his, his friend's car, which had been left at an overlook at the park. The caller said his friend, named Jones, was in the hospital in Medford and asked whether the garage could store the car until he was released. So the woman who answered the phone called the police right after hanging up because it was such a weird call and a weird request. Okay. But when police went to the train depot, the caller was long gone. Huh. Then another weird thing, several weeks later.
2: How do they know the guy's name and address? Like you had to say that when you made a call? Yeah, you did. Okay. So, huh.
0: several weeks later, two young men were caught with a thirty-two caliber pistol in a traffic stop, but were apparently discounted as suspects. Okay. Another suspect was George Duncan, a prospector who had murdered a trooper five days after the Crater Lake killings, but witness accounts put him far from the scene at the time. The best theory was that the members of the so-called Mountain Murder Gang were behind the robbery and murders. Well, Okay.
2: <laughs> If, the, if Wouldn't that be your first guess if you knew there was a mountain murder gang and people got murdered in the mountains? Right? Totally. That, that's, that's my first guess.
0: The gang, led by Jack Santo and Emmett Perkins, had gained notoriety after a brutal 1952 murder of a grocer and his three children in Chester, California. Oh. The gang was, in fact, suspected of a string of murders and robberies throughout the western United States. Ooh. Santo also had links to Oregon, including as a sus- suspect in a number of burglaries in the Medford area, which he was apparently never charged. Okay. In the end, Santo and Perkins were sentenced to death for the 1952 murder of 63-year-old Mabel Monahan, a widow Ooh. from Burbank they had planned to rob of her gambling winnings oh. that they believed she had hidden in the house. The FBI's case file shows investigators considered these men as suspects right up until their execution. Two days before they were to go to the gas chamber, investigators made one final attempt to get confessions, but no luck. They were executed along with their accomplice, Barbara Graham, on June third, 1955. Wait, they were executed
2: the same day that Dana Carvey of SNL was born?
1: Yeah, okay. So
2: maybe they are reincarnated as Dana Carvey. I don't think so. I
1: don't. I have a question. Yeah. So did you say that one of them was like shot in the front of the yeah. head and the other one was shot in the back yeah. of the head? Yeah. Were they trying to make it look like they were killing, like one was killing one person and then killed themselves kind of thing? Were they trying to do something wacky
0: like that? Maybe. Maybe. Or, or maybe the one was running away when That's they shot probably him. probably shot the one know.
2: and then the he one in the back.
0: Probably the one they shot in the face, they probably shot, they surprised him and then the other guy yeah. got up and started to run away, and they shot him in the back of the head. This is what I'm thinking probably happened. That's but,
1: a
2: good point. Well, I I, like w- that. I wonder. You said that those kid those younger guys got caught with a 32 caliber pistol, yeah, pistol in their car. I wonder how like how common it was. Common is it to have a 32 caliber pistol in Oregon? <laughs> like, did in everybody 52, have guns yeah. then in that area or in the 50s? Like, yeah, or I did don't you know. not? Or were they not that common? I have no idea. Like it's. It's almost like it's such a bygone era that it's almost yeah. a different world. Yeah. Like, do, mm-hmm. I have no concept of things like that.
0: Right. So that's my story. Yeah. All right. I'm sticking to it. That wasn't terrible.
2: Ter- yeah. there's was an ant on my screen. That wasn't terrible. <laughs> All right. Um, well, that's a glowing review. Thank you. That wasn't terrible. No, you were talking about how terrible it was. I mean, it's not as, as, as exciting as this UFO. UFO like, I know. This UFO story that I have blowing my socks off. So keep going. All right. So then on July 25th, in 1952, yeah. uh, Puerto Ricans overwhelmingly approved the Commonwealth status in a referendum, and the island's constitution was proclaimed on July 25, 1952, a symbolic date because it was the 54th anniversary of the U.S. invasion of the island, and Puerto Rico mm-hmm. became a Commonwealth
0: yeah. oh. uh,
2: of, the United, of States. the United States yeah, on that date, which I had no idea. That's a good day. And I did not look up like how... Yeah. Why we invaded and whatever happened. It's but probably just
0: colonization like everything else. Well,
2: 54 years before 1890, you know, who knows. Yeah. Uh, but back to the UFOs because yes. on July 26th and 27th. So think about like living in 1952 at this time. Yeah. And we've already published in the papers that people saw in UFOs. Just being on edge.
0: And people were going nuts. This is after War of the Worlds when everybody yeah. went bananas because of that yeah. story. This is and just so like it.
2: At 8.15 p.m. on Saturday, July 26, 1952, the weekend after the last sightings, a pilot and stewardess on a National Airlines flight into Washington observed some lights above their plane. Within minutes, both radar centers at National Airport and the radar at Andrews Air Force Base were tracking more Unknown objects. U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant Charles E. Cummings visually observed the objects at Andrews. He later said that these lights did not have the characteristics of shooting stars. There were no trails. They traveled faster than any shooting star I've ever seen. Meanwhile, Albert M. Chopp, the press spokesman for Project Blue Book, arrived at National Airport and, due to security concerns, denied several reporters' requests to photograph the radar screens. He then joined the Radar Center personnel. By this time, 9.30 p.m., the Radar Center was detecting unknown objects in every sector. At times, the objects traveled slowly. At other times, they reversed direction and moved across the radar scope at speeds calculated up to 7,000 miles per hour.
0: Oh my God.
2: At 11.30 p.m., two U.S. Air Force F-94 Starfire jet fighters from the Newcastle Air Force Base in Delaware arrived over Washington.
0: So they were planning to fight whatever was in the they, sky. Well,
2: they—I think they want to just yeah. scramble and like find them. Like, I was looking at you. You know, we're talking about the ones we're talking about lately. Like there yeah. was a sixty minutes episode just two weeks ago or whatever okay. about these two air force pilots who who found that tic tac. It yeah. was a it was an object shaped like a tic tac in the ocean, and they they said. But we're it,
1: talking bigger, right? Yeah, I, I, mean, I, like, I assume obviously. it's okay. bigger.
2: But second. it was shaped like it was white, and it was like hovering above the water. And they okay. went to approach it, and they said it zigged and went sixty. Mi- it was in it was sixty miles away within a second, like wow. And then it came back, like it just. And they were both. New, this happened in like 2014, and they're just now talking about it. So they were on 60 oh. Minutes talking about it, huh. and the two people. It was like a man and a woman pilot. They both. Were you know talked about Incredible. how they, they were afraid to talk about it for yeah, years. Yeah, bet. Thought, are they going crazy? Do they remember it right? The guy was like, "I'm not a UFO guy. Like, I don't believe in UFOs, but I saw this anyway." uh Captain, Sh- yeah. So what?
1: Here, like, how selfish can we be? Not believing in them, though. Yeah, That's what I think. like Hubby and I talk about that. Like, yeah, how can there not be? Like, why well, can't there be other life forms? Because
2: we all think we're so special. I mean, for years we thought we were the center of the you know well and yeah. just
0: because we don't have the technology doesn't mean it's not uh, it's not possible
2: well if you think about how yeah. f- they're more advanced how civilizations f- yeah how far technology has come from now to from yeah. like the 50s and the 40s like
0: yeah and,
2: and in the grand scheme of things that's a little blip of time in alien life so there's probably exactly. like
0: but imagine how much that is going to rock the world when it comes out that it's real. Totally. I, think, I think that's a big thing. Oh my when we, God, that's going like to. People when, are going to go nuts. Like when we excited. are contacted by aliens. Yeah, but some people, you know, all those Trumpers are going to go nuts.
2: Well, the hardest thing is true, the religious. True. Religious people who've. Like, oh, yeah, the religious people. They've are invested go nuts. Their, their whole lives and beings on religion. And when they find out that, oh, it's. All wrong, I mean, maybe they won 't find out that it's all wrong, maybe they'll think the aliens'll say Jesus it's a sign whatever, of Jesus or something, <laughs> something but but yeah. it, that's the big concern, and that's why I think that there are people that know that there are aliens, but they haven't because they don't feel like our society is ready, ready for, for it because people will are uh, yeah. so into all that now, yeah. so that I think I don't know hmm. and then the other conspiracy theorist to me always thinks maybe all along. There's people in power that know, and then and they've they've yeah. like actually, like told people about religion to keep them in line. Like, people yeah. aren't following rules. Let's tell them about reli- let's make religion. Yeah. Up, you know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so Captain John yeah. McHugo, the flight leader. So, this is a common thing. I think if, if they see a UFO, they send out jet fighters to figure out what the hell it is, you know? Because, mm. number one, they probably also think it might be another co- country, like You're spying, right. whatever. Maybe it's some, and there yeah, are people yeah. that think this is Russia or China spying on us and these other ones. Maybe they have mm. technology we don't know about. Captain John McHugo was the flight leader and he was vectored toward the radar blips, but he saw nothing despite repeated attempts. However, his wingman. Lieutenant William Patterson did see four white glows, and he chased them. He told investigators uh, that I tried to make contact with the bogeys below 1,000 feet and that I was at my maximum speed, but I ceased chasing them because I saw no chance of overtaking them. According to Albert Chop, when ground control asked Patterson if he saw anything, Patterson replied, I see them now, and they're all around me. What should I do? Nobody answered because... Nobody knew what to tell them. Oh wow! They didn't know what to do after yeah. after midnight. What wow. would you do? Like how right. would you after midnight right. on July twenty seventh? Yeah. U.S. Air Force Major Dewey Fournay, Project Blue Books liaison of the Pentagon, and Lieutenant John Holcomb, United States Navy radar specialist, arrived at the radar center at National Airport during the night. Lieutenant Holcomb received a call from the Washington National Weather Station. They told him that a slight temperature inversion was present over the city but Holcomb felt that the inversion was not nearly strong enough to explain the good and solid returns on the radar scopes. So they did a lot of say that when that temperature thing happens, it can show up on the radar,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: but he didn't think it was enough. Fournay Mm -hmm. relayed that all those present in the radar room were convinced that the targets were most likely caused by solid metallic objects. There had been weather targets on the scope too, he said, but this was a common occurrence and the controllers were paying no attention to them. Two more F-94s from Newcastle Air Force Base were scrambled during the night. One pilot saw nothing unusual. The other pilot saw a white light, which vanished when he moved toward it. Civilian aircraft also reported glowing objects that corresponded to radar blips. Anyway, there was a lot of people that said it could be explained by weird phenomenon, and the technology wasn't like it is today. But Uh, the
0: fact that you were saying the fact that they could see it, with their naked eyes and on a radar yes. kind of disproves a lot of those people, things. And then
2: some people, in one instance, they said they could explain some of that as, oh, it was just a meteor sighting or a oh. shooting star or whatever. But it doesn't sound like that to me, like all these. So, yeah. Well, that's um, cool. Yeah. All right. So anyway, there's a lot more. That was all from Wikipedia. Yeah. There are some other articles about it you can look online. I didn't mm-hmm. have – I just discovered this this afternoon, so I didn't go and t- – <laughs> I have a lot more. But yeah, it's not as exciting, and that we're not a UFO podcast. But
1: but now I want right. move, more move, UFO movies out there because you know, what, know, like there's so many good ones out there. Well, feel there free
2: are. to. By the time this episode is aired, it will be June, past June, and we might already know. We might have already heard. But supposedly, True. June one, there's supposed to be a big reveal by the government. Really? Marco Rubio was involved in like telling people to reveal this. Oh and, God, um, I don't believe a word he says. Well, I it was it. that Harry. Who was that Harry? Um, the Democratic guy that just Harry Reid. Harry Reid. Oh yeah. He started this a few years ago, like tell, Try, tell trying to get him to a complain. special commission on UFO stuff. Like he said, there's stuff they need to reveal. And then during the Trump administration, they revealed a lot of it. And that's when they revealed those videos on the radar. So yeah. if you look up UFO sightings like now, like get on YouTube and. Look yeah. at the most recent ones. And there are some real convincing stuff. And it sounds a lot like this. So yeah. uh, to me, like,
1: I Ooh. don't know. It's scary. It is scary. And
2: I think it's real. I don't know about you, Tara. You think it's real? Oh, I totally
1: think it's all real. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. There's aliens. I definitely believe that there's life force somewhere. They're
2: For gonna, sure. I
0: just, I just it makes me nervous.
2: I think they're already here and they've been here forever. I think they've been watching That's us yeah. and monitoring us.
0: Yeah, that could be.
2: And probing us. Anally. Anally. Uh, let's
1: not have that. Let's, that's that's nothing. <laughs> like, I know.
2: Like any time I have a, a really loose stool, I think I might have got probed <laughs> the night before. You're ridiculous. It's not, the, it's, it's not the it's not the chicken wings and the beer. It's that right. I was probably it's probably anally probed by aliens. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh fire in the sky still terrifies me. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, yes. Tara, for <laughs> sitting you, here with Tara. us all this time. It was I'm fun. so sorry we took so long. And so well, much of your time. Fun. But we loved having you. And yes, I am going I to reach to out to you.
0: Guiding light. Yes. So and I want
2: I've you received. to coach me. I want to become an author. And so will you, Amy. You're crazy. No, well, we're going to you know, I
1: am, I, am, I am up for the fun. Uh, okay. I think it would
2: be awesome to be able to help you. Oh, and, where can we? Journey. Where can people find you to reach out to you? How can we find so you?
1: So I'm going to keep it as easy as possible. There are yeah. two things. Okay. The yeah. first one is that um, you can go to terakelly.com. All my information is there. That's easy. But if you want to say, like, Tara, I want to go to your social media, I kept my social media pretty simple, and I said Tara Kelly author. So if you go to Tara Kelly author on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. Oh, nice. You got them all. That's great.
2: Snapchat. Are you on the Snapchats?
1: I have Snapchat, but I only have it for my
0: family. Oh, yeah. My, uh, you, I don't my, even know yeah. how Snapchat works, and neither do you.
2: I was thought I was yeah. going to catch her off guard, and she'd say, no, no. I don't have that. What about TikTok? <laughs> Are you on TikTok? Nope. Didn't yeah. do it yet. There's yeah. too many things.
1: There's I'm too many things. I'm just on YouTube now, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. at
2: YouTube, too. Okay, Tara Kelly, author. At yeah. Tara Kelly, check her out. That's right. She yeah. can help you, and all you aspiring so authors, to. check her out, and she's going to coach you. And I think she's going to coach me. Um, My wife might not like it, but I'm going to ask her. Anyway. All right. Yes. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for your patience through the birthdays, Amy. Yes. Barely. We loved having you. So check Tara out. Thanks, Tara, again. But it's time to
0: get out of here, Chuck Berry.
2: Yeah. Thanks. Let Dale through.